Hello and welcome to A Novel Process, the podcast about what it's really like to write a book. My name is May Jasper. Okay, gang, this is episode 12 of the podcast where I am writing a novel, and every fortnight I make an episode to tell you guys how it's going. And we have finished the narrative summary. Last week was the last narrative summary episode, and uh, as you can tell from the fact that it ballooned out to be five episodes long, that was an exercise that I really got into. I hope that you all didn't feel that I was being self-indulgent. I was definitely indulging myself, but I hope it didn't feel like that. That's important. I think it was really a very useful exercise, as often these things are, because it lays out the whole thing and it means you can see, you know, the bits that are strong, the bits that are going to work, the bits that appeal to people, and you also get to see the big gaping holes and the things that don't work. So what I've been doing basically for the last two weeks is really just thinking about what that narrative summary kind of revealed and also getting a chance to listen and and have a look at some of your responses to the podcast so far and and in particular to the narrative summary episodes. So today is going to be kind of a mailbag episode as I go through some of the questions that you guys have sent in, give you answers, and also just talk about how, how incredibly useful that is. You guys don't know writing is a very solitary thing to do and it's so nice to have such a wide range of people giving input and even if I don't agree with everybody, and I agree with most of the people who've written in today, but even if I don't agree with you, input is still really good because it gives you a different view on what you're doing. So I'm just going to go through some listener questions. One of the really cool questions that I got is quite a short question. It's just, is Danica autistic? And I think that's a really interesting question. Obviously, the reason why, I'm assuming the reason why uh, this listener has asked this question is because Danica has that. I've written her as having kind of a difficulty maybe reading social cues necessarily she doesn't feel confident about always knowing what people are thinking or feeling and while I find the idea that Danica could be autistic really interesting I'm a little wary to make that true for two reasons one of the things I've been doing this last fortnight is talking to a friend of mine who's a psychologist and trying to now that I have a greater sense of the characters through writing the narrative summary to draw on her psychological expertise to kind of give the characters a really solid underpin, make sure that their motivations make sense, make sure that I'm not making up some stuff that actually wouldn't work or isn't psychologically sound. And I kind of talked to this friend of mine about the idea of Danica being autistic and her main feedback was, you can definitely do that, but you need to do your research and if she's going to be autistic, what you need to do is say that. Yeah, apparently uh, there is a a feeling within the neurodivergent and people on the autism spectrum that one of the most irritating things is when a character is kind of coded autistic, but not explicitly stated as being autistic. Because I I assume, and I don't want to put the words in the mouth of people in this community, but I assume part of the issue is when people write a character that is coded as autistic, but don't come out and say it, it gives them a backdoor to be like, I didn't do any research, I wasn't totally accurate, I don't really know anything about autism, but, you know, this character is like, yeah, what I imagine autistic people to be. But by not explicitly stating that's what you're doing, you don't, you're not held accountable. And I think that's a really valuable way to think about it. I'm happy to do the research, but I also think that potentially... I don't think that Danica's misreading of emotions is a neurodivergent thing necessarily. 
the more I think about it, the more I think that probably Danica just has an awkwardness around talking to people about death. And that I think that idea is potentially even more interesting when it is more widely applied, by which I mean it's not something that is specific to some kind of neurodivergent community or, or you know, that it's not the result of a thing with a label, but rather just a societal thing, a thing about humans that we are often culturally uncertain or awkward about death. And I wanted to explore that as a function of humans generally and maybe maybe Australian culture in particular, so that you can then present it as a contrast to the aliens. So that it's not a contrast between the aliens who have their own way of thinking about death and an autistic human or a neurodivergent human, but rather just aliens and humans in general or Australians in general. And I've been, again, in this chat with my psychologist friend, uh, I worked out some ways that we can give Danica kind of a family history and a backstory that while it's not, again, about having her have necessarily a psychological thing with a name, but rather just a psychological makeup and a family predisposition to feeling awkward about that, that the ways that can make that really interesting. So I think that's going to be really fun. Another question that I got was from a friend of mine who asked, had I ever read Project Hail Mary, which is a book by Andy Weir? I haven't. And I could tell from the way that this person sent me the question that the reason they asked is because there is some overlap between my story and Project Hail Mary. Now, you would think that this might be a bad thing. I actually don't think that it is. But in order to go into what the overlap is, I am going to spoil Project Hail Mary a very little bit. I never care about spoilers. That's why I researched it more. But if you do care about spoilers, maybe just skip ahead 30 seconds or something in the podcast. Apparently, in Project Hail Mary, there is a substance that emits heat when it is exposed to light. So he has a version of Zykov. And my friend was concerned that I'd been kind of semi-scooped or that I would be worried that people would think I was ripping off Andy Weir. First of all, Andy Weir's a brilliant writer. I love The Martian. So who cares if people think I'm ripping him off? Sounds good. But also, to be honest, up until now, when I've been talking to actual scientists about the book, which I have done a few times, I've talked to geologists and biologists and different people doing research. And when I have to describe Zykov to them, up till now, I've been a little embarrassed to describe it to an actual scientist because it is sort of chemically impossible. <laughs> Something that acts the way that I want Zykov to act, as far as I'm aware, is sort of chemically impossible. And I've been sort of embarrassed again to talk to scientists about it. And then sometimes they have reacted in a way that makes me feel that my embarrassment is warranted. But if Andy Weir put it in a book, done. Cool. I'm never going to be embarrassed again. So that's brilliant. I won't read Project Hail Mary before I finish the book because I don't want to rip too much off of Andy Weir. But I was thinking I might even put like a lampshade in the book, like one of the characters has Zykov described to them and the other one says, oh, you mean like in Project Hail Mary? And they'll be like, yeah, Andy Weir wrote it after hearing about, you know, Zykov. That, I think that would be fun. Anyway, great. The next question says, uh, this is very flattering, loving your process. I'm hooked. Can't wait to see, brackets, I mean hear what happens next. Question. How do you keep track of everything? Seems that you need to write a novel to write a novel. That is a really good question. The short answer is that I have a program called Scrivener, which is designed specifically for people writing big, long things like novels, but also like long plays or 
I imagine theses, theses would be all right in uh, Scrivener. It's a great program. There's lots of different things about it that I don't use. One of the things that I do use is that it allows you to have different documents in different folders and all sorts of stuff, but it's all within the same program. So you're not jumping out to go into, say, Windows Explorer and opening up a Word document to look at something. So you can keep all your research and all your character ideas and all your ideas about the setting and, and your actual chapters all in the same place and you can jump between them really easily. So that's good. But to be honest, I think this question is not so much about, May, what computer program to use, but rather a question that I've got a lot when I've done performing and acting where you're in a play and the number of times that people will ask you afterwards, you know, how do you learn all those lines? How do you hold them all in your head? And the, the really boring answer is I just read them a lot and then they're in my head. <laughs> and the book's the same, man. I think about it a lot. I spend a lot of time thinking about characters, thinking about plot points. Uh, so I don't really need, at the moment so far, I don't refer back to additional material that much. I get the feeling that once I get into the novel more and I've written more chapters, that maybe that will be more useful. But for the moment, I'm afraid it's just the whole of my brain and that it's pushed out other things that I should be remembering. Oh, okay. So this next question is my fave, I think, of the ones that we got. I think it was in response to the first uh, Checkpoint episode and the section in particular where Jenny and Danica went to visit Yiza for the first time. And I use the pronoun he to refer to Yiza because he is a male Gaelk. And this question said, why did you choose to have the aliens have a gender? Oh, it seems like such a human construct. I wondered why aliens even have gender. Like, why does that even come? And this is such a good question. I cannot stress how much I love this question because it's true. That's stupid that the aliens would think of gender the same way that we do and have and use, you know, have two genders and, and, and have them be a way to separate people out. I decided to have the Gaelic have gender for reasons that have nothing to do with my thinking on gender and everything to do with my thinking on reader comprehension, which is super important <laughs> for a book. First of all, when you're writing a novel about aliens, and we've talked about this a little bit before, you can literally change anything. Yeah, aliens can be as different from humans as you want them to be. Every single aspect of humans could be different for an alien. And because you're inventing the world, you can have as many of those differences as you want. But the trade-off is that every time you make a difference between aliens and humans, you have to explain it. But take some time out of your novel where you're presumably wanting things to happen. You have to take time away from things happening, characters talking, to explain this difference. So you have to be fairly careful about how many differences you have and, and how complicated they are. At the moment, all the differences between the Gaelic and the humans uh, that I dwell on are related to the narrative. They are sensitive to temperature, and the reason that's true is because I want to give them a reason to have access to Zykoft. Zykoft is what keeps them warm in their caves and they need to be warm to survive, etc. Equally, they're telepathic, and that feeds in directly into the narrative and matters for how that works. There's lots of different differences like that. You know, the attitudes to death and technology, of course, are really tied into their cultural civilization. All those things are different to humans, but they are rooted in the narrative. If I were to change, if I were to give them a different concept of gender, 
That is not something that is central to the narrative. And so if I take time out from the narrative to describe the differences in gender, I am by definition adding in something that, and I mean this in a in, in a way where I say again that I, I am really interested in ideas about gender, but in, from a narrative perspective, it is unnecessary. The next level beyond that in terms of reader comprehension is that in theory, any difference that you put in that is not directly tied into the narrative would have this same effect, would take you away from the narrative. But to change gender specifically is to rob yourself of one of the shortcuts of English, which is the use of pronouns and the easy use of pronouns. In English, one of the clearest and kind of quickest ways to tell differences between people is gender and is pronouns. And you can see that even in the book as it is now, I have already, just by having two female protagonists, already sacrificed some reader comprehension because any time that I have a scene with Jenny and Danica where they're both doing things, I can't, pronouns are going to be confusing. Yeah, like Jenny puts her hand on Danica's shoulder. Yeah, that is, in that sentence, I've had to say both names. Yeah, And I have to say both names because if I said she put her hand on her shoulder, you're not clear. Yeah, is, is Dan, Jenny putting her hand on her own shoulder or is she put it on Danica's shoulder or is Danica, you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of. Whereas the same scene with a male and a female character, he put his hand on her shoulder. It's really clear who's doing what to whom. And so in that way, English's emphasis on pronouns and on gender is kind of weirdly heteronormative. And I've already made a decision that I'm not going to use the shortcut or take advantage of the shortcut to its fullest effect because I have two female protagonists. And the unfortunate thing about English is that we don't have at the moment a commonly used non-gender specific pronoun. And that's a bad thing. Again, let me be clear. Obviously, there is uh, a certain amount of movement now around using they as a singular pronoun, which is spectacular. There's also some zazia as a, an alternative. I think that would be spectacular, but they're not in wide usage at the moment. And so to make the aliens non-binary or to give them a different idea of gender you just lose out on this incredible shortcut that can make action scenes or scenes just where anything, any people are doing things, you know, quickly, you lose a lot of facility to describe those. So basically what I'm saying is, yeah, I, I, at the moment the aliens don't play with gender because it's not narratively essential and because English is not set up to make that super easy. But that's at the moment, Yeah. Whether that will be what it is in the final novel, genuinely, I don't know. I would love to be able to use gender in a different way in the novel, partly because, as I say, I think it's really interesting, partly because I do think the more that you have aliens have the same, just identical cultural stuff to humans, you lose something. They are less alien when you do that. But mostly because, you know, the reason why we don't have a widely used non-gender specific pronoun is because it's not widely used, right? Language is not static. We change the way we use it. We we can create a world where people are more used to using they them in the singular, or we can create a world where Zazia is more common. So I would love to do that. We'll see. Is the answer? We'll we'll see. I think that would be very cool. But it wasn't a good idea for the summary because I was trying to make the summary short, and obviously failed miserably. Last thing on this: if uh, for the person who sent in this question, and also just in general, if you're interested in these ideas about gender and about aliens, 
you would fucking love Becky Chambers. Becky Chambers is almost one of the reasons that I'm writing this book. She wrote a spectacular series of novels called The Wayfarer Series, and it is full of this incredible variety of different types of aliens who all have, are astonishingly different to humans in any number of different ways, and one of them is an incredibly broad spectrum of thinking about gender. Very cool. All right, and the last question I'm going to look at is one that I, that I put in purely because I want to demonstrate how powerful these questions are. The question is, have you thought about having some young terminally ill donors and not just old people? And that's such a good point that obviously I received that question after I think the first Checkpoint episode again. And then I changed the novel and I put in Nellie because I hadn't been thinking about having younger people. And when this question pointed out, I thought, that's a great idea. And I love Nellie now. I think she's a spectacular character. So I really value all of these questions. Please don't hesitate to send them in. Anyway. That's what I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. I'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, I always love to hear from listeners about how they think the process is going. The place to leave questions or comments or just to keep up to date with the novel process is on the Victorian Theatre Company socials or at the website, victoriantheatre.org. Have a good one.